Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy Podcast. My name's Dave and I'm your host. Today's episode is another of our Stand Up Tragedy replayed episodes where we take some of the performers who've performed at Stand Up Tragedy over the last two years and we replay them for you to enjoy the tragedy all over again. What is Stand Up Tragedy though? Well, stand-up tragedy is where performers come and they stand up on stage and they perform tragedy. We have musicians, we have storytellers, we have spoken word artists and one of the major strands of performance styles that we have is comedy. A night with tragedy in the title might not sound like the kind of place to come and have a good laugh but there are lots of laughs during the night as well as sad moments and moments that make you think. Tragedy and comedy are not separate from each other. Tragedy is, after all, about coming together and sharing a cathartic experience. That is something that comedy also tries to do. We love to have comedians on our night and comedians often really love to perform for us. Performing at Stand Up Tragedy means that if you normally do stuff that's funny, you have an opportunity to go dark, to go sad, to explore an idea knowing that it doesn't matter if you make the audience laugh. But also, We really like dark comedy, we like twisted comedy and and a lot of people who make dark and twisted comedy are trying to have emotional and tragic moments. Comedians that are already exploring the tragic side are a perfect fit for what we do at Stand Up Tragedy. Today we have a great selection of some of our favourite comic performances that have happened at Stand Up Tragedy. And I'd really like to give a special shout out to a couple of comedians who we never put out on the podcast for various reasons, but whose tragic performances have been absolutely brilliant. Ben Target, he's a brilliant visual comedian and his stuff has been really great and he's been a perfect fit with what we do at Stand Up Tragedy. And also big shout out to Robin Ince who performed a really moving personal story up in Edinburgh for us. First up, we have Jos Norris, who performed first with Stand Up Tragedy up in Edinburgh this year. We loved him so much, we've booked him for two shows coming up in 2014. You can find him at www.josnorris.co.uk or at Jos Norris on Twitter. How are we all doing? We all good? Whee! So I'm, um, I'm doing, I, normally I do character stuff, right? Uh, and, then, and then today I thought, I, thought I'd do, I thought I'd do myself. And it's the first time I've done myself in a long time, right? Uh, so I thought, well, as in, <laughs> as in, it's the first time I've done myself in a long, no, I mean, I haven't performed as myself in a long time. So I was trying to remember, how do I do that? And how do I start? <laughs> and I thought, well, that'll, that'll cover a multitude of, of ills, won't it? That opening. I thought that'll, that'll smooth the gap. I thought, what's, how do I get back to the most fundamental bit of me to go into a performance? And I thought, well, I thought that, <laughs> I thought that mask and a dance to Outcast Sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah. And a Pretty Woman spoof that you didn't get. What's your name? George. George. Hasn't seen Pretty Woman enough times. How many times have you seen Pretty Woman? Wait, how many times have you seen it? Well, there we go. <laughs> There you go, this is my audience. This is my audience right here. What's your name? Boogie. Boogie? Yeah. Like a boogie? Yeah. Like the dance, the boogie? Yes. Wow. Is that your real name? No. Oh. <laughs> Why'd you say that? I could say that. That's what everyone calls me. Call you Boogie. What's your, what's your full name? It doesn't 
No, go on. Because I want to know whether Boogie is a shortened version of your name or, or, or completely an affectation. So it's just an affectation. Yeah. What's your full name? Alexandria. People call you Boogie. Yeah. Are you good at boogieing? Sure. Show us. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll boogie with you. Uh, okay. Okay. This is, so this is this is about tragedy, right? This night. Uh, and I was, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I haven't been to one of these before, so I was told theme it about tragedy. And I thought, how do you do that? How do you make comedy about tragedy? And then I thought, well, it's me performing it. <laughs> So that, I mean, I think I've demonstrated that in itself, it's pretty sad. That's what I've got to do. That's what I've got to do to endear myself to people is wear that mask and do that dance and turn my jacket inside out. Like that's sad in a way. But I'm going to talk about genuinely tragic things. Like, oh, here's one. Um, my dad, he was married to my mum. Then that didn't go well. And then he was married to this other woman. And then they had a cat, Taliesin. Taliesin the cat. Uh, then my mum was allergic to England. No, my stepmum, Jennifer, she was allergic to England. That's what they tell me. <laughs> I think they didn't get on, <laughs> but they were saving our feelings. And they were like, yeah, your stepmum's allergic to England, kids. Anyway, they sent her back to America, uh, and she couldn't take the cat with her because of the flight. So she said, um, she said to my dad, you have to look after it. And he looked after it for 10 years, and he hated it. And he always went on about how much he hated this cat. And then it died, and he said he wept, and he buried it under the holly tree. I've never known my dad to cry. I mean, it's sad. <laughs> it's definitely sad. No, what I'm, okay. What I was, well, so what I was here to tell you about is, uh, who's single in here? Raise your hands. Any single people? Few people, okay. Any sing, single women? Raise your hands. Okay, good. Not been a waste of time. Um, I'm joking. That's not why I gig. <laughs> it's, it's part of it. Okay, um, I'm, I'm not single, right? I'm alone. And there's a difference, okay? There's a difference between being single and being alone in that when you're single, you're just like, oh, I'm single, I wish I wasn't single. When you're alone, you're probably writing. Like, you're probably creating something. That's an artistic statement to be like, yeah, I'm on my own. I'm creating things. So I'm alone, and I started doing internet dating. Does anybody else do that? Raise your hands if you're doing the online thing. It's all right, there's no stigma anymore. It's all right now these days. Raise your hands if you're on Zoopla. Anybody else on Zoopla? Just me? Okay, let me warn you, right? <laughs> Learn from my mistakes, because it's a property website, okay? <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that when I signed up. I signed up, uh, I was thinking of Zoosk, right? I was thinking of Zoosk. So I signed up to Zoopla, and I started getting all these emails like, oh, there's a two-bedroom flat available in Kennington. And I was like, damn girl, slow down. <laughs> we ain't even met, you know what I mean? I didn't think it was weird. I was like, these guys haven't asked me anything about my hobbies, but <laughs> hey-ho. Uh, and I went for detached, because <laughs> I don't like polygamy. And then there was this field that said, what's your budget? And I thought, oh, whoa, dating's got cynical, guys. 21st century, dating's got cynical. Um, so those are my thoughts on dating. And, um, I mean, that's sad, isn't it? I keep trying to, <laughs> I don't know whether saying that's sad, isn't it, is enough of a way of uh, theming this routine. Not really, not really. But I'll, I'll watch the others and then I'll know more for, <laughs> for next time. We're all learning, it's all a learning curve, isn't it? But um, I, I um, here's one. I was in this, <laughs> here's, Here's one. It's a good link, isn't it? 
I were, in 2004, right, I was on holiday in the south of France and I had a mosquito net over my bed and a mento in my hand. And the, my hand was outside the mosquito net. And I remember thinking, if you eat, I was 15, too old to really, for this to be okay. I thought, if you eat a mento through a net, does it break down into small enough parts to pass through the holes in the net? That was the experiment I was conducting. So I, I, chew, I chewed a hole in the net, right? Tried to eat a mento, chewed a hole in the net, and my mum had to pay 50 pounds damages. That's that one. She said, she said, where did this big hole in the net come from? I was like, I don't know, big mosquito is me. Chewed a hole in the net, eating a mento. So that's that. <laughs> what? Sad, isn't it? Sad, isn't it? Sad, isn't it? Okay. Um, I'm going to exhibit a skill for you because I've been trying to develop stand-up comedy-related skills. Uh, and there's a comedian called Chris Turner. Have any of you heard of him? He's a comedian. Last year at the Fringe, I saw him do an improvised rap. And I thought, well, that's good. I want to do something like that. I want to learn a skill that I can exhibit. Because it's all very well to just talk about whatever. But if you've got a skill, then that's useful. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to improvise a rap from your suggestions. Uh, and we're gonna and tr and try and make them tragedy themed because then it it all links in. So can anyone suggest things that I can rap about? And I'll do an improvised rap. You sir, pretty woman only once, man. Well, pretty woman. That's not really a tragedy though. I didn't say that. I didn't say say pretty woman. <laughs> I said say anything. I said say anything. It's funny how say anything makes everything go out of your head. Yeah, I know. It's weird, isn't it? It's weird, isn't it? What's in there now? Just nothing. Just well, empty. It's just, uh, Blamange, okay. Uh, go with that. Right, Blamange. I need two more things. Anybody else? Yep. Raptors. Raptors. Like, like Velociraptors. Okay, Velociraptors. Anybody else? One more thing. Global thermonuclear war. Global thermonuclear war. <laughs> Blamange, Raptors, global thermonuclear war. Here we go. Can I have track two, please, on the iPod? This is my improvised rap about those topics. Here we go. I need a backing track though, hence. Okay. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Miami. Uh, uh, South Beach, bringing the heat. Uh. Ha ha. Can you all feel that? Can you all feel that? Uh, uh. Check it out. In Miami, the place where I come let go In Miami, the place where the sun set low Every day like a Mardi Gras Everybody party all day, no work, all play, okay? So we sip a little something, let her rest the nil Me and Charlie at the bar running up a high bill Nothing less than nil, and we were dressed to kill Every time the ladies pass, they'll be like Hi, will you feel me? All ages and races, real sweet faces Every different nation, Spanish, Haitian, Indian, Jamaican Black, white, Cuban or Asian I only came for two days of playing But every time I come I always wind up staying Just to take the trip I can spend a few days In Miami The city that keeps The roof blazing Party in the city Where the heat is on All night on the beach Till the break of dawn Welcome to Miami We're Benito Bouncing in the clubs where the heat is on All night on the beach Till the break of dawn I'm going to Miami Welcome to Sorry, can we pause it a second? Sorry, did I say improvise? <laughs> yeah, no, no, sorry, I can't do that. Can't do that. But I learned the words to Miami. Well, that's something. My favourite lyric to that song, right, I'll finish in a second, but my favourite lyric to that song is a bit later on where, where he goes, You'll don't understand. I never seen so many Dominican women with cinnamon tans. Which, which I love. 
because he sounds really tortured about it. Like, he sounds really upset. So he's like, you don't understand. Will, what's, what, are you all right? No. Why not? What's wrong? You wouldn't understand. You can tell me I'm your best friend. Carlton, you can tell me. <laughs> I'm your best friend, Carlton. You can tell me about it. No, you won't understand. Don't keep saying that. What's wrong? I went to Miami and... No, you won't understand. Tell me what's wrong. I've never seen so many Dominican women with cinnamon tans. Oh, how, uh, how many were there? Uh, there were seven. There were seven uh, Dominican women with uh, cinnamon tans. Oh. Um, how many have you seen before? I've seen six. I've seen six before. But I've, I've never seen seven. Oh, I knew you wouldn't understand. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I've been Joseph Norris. You've been great. Please enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you. If you listen back to our podcast, you can hear comedians who have performed with us at the Leicester Square Theatre in 2012 and at the Hackney Attic and the Dog Star and in Edinburgh in 2013. We're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes and we're on the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Next up is Matthew Hyten, a comedian who filled in for us at the last minute in London. And then we loved him so much that we made sure that we reunited with him at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. He had the audiences in tears of laughter at the Dog Star in Brixton in July. This is the first performance that he did with us. And he just took the audience from a sad place. They just experienced a sad true story and a sad song breathed light back into them again. Here's the wonderful, the surreal, Matthew Hyten. Hi. Uh, wow, I, I got really drawn into the night, so I forgot I was supposed to perform. I was just like, oh, life's hard. Um, I think, though, I think if we can take anything from tonight, the biggest tragedy in this room is no matter how much you nail your mirrors down, they'll still get them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jokes. Uh, it's going to be all right, guys. Just look to the person next to you and give them a cuddle, especially if you don't know them. If you don't know them, grab them tight and whisper in their ear, I know where you live. <laughs> I will find you. Um, it's going to be all right. Like, this is a beautiful night. I really love celebrating tragedy because I don't, I don't have much tragedy in my life. Like, some people do. You know, sometimes you see, like, a kid, like a five-year-old kid, and they've just got doom written on the face. And, you know, for the rest of their life, it's not going to be pleasant. Other people... It's all right, even when it goes to shit, it's all right. Like, the biggest problem in my life at the moment is, uh, all right, I live in Kentish Town, that's not the problem, but, uh, like, I, I, at the moment, I live in Kentish Town, and in the last two months, I've been attacked by a crow eight times. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It lives near behind a billboard, and it just... Yeah, I heard about that. Uh, it lives behind a billboard, and it keeps dive-bombing me. And I've Googled this, and apparently they remember your face. So if they, like, take offence by you, 
That is it. They're like Nikon. They've got facial recognition. They're all over you. So I've had to start going to a different tube station because it's fearful. Like, and I don't know what I've done to it. The only thing I can assume is, like, from above, I kind of look like a mobile home to it. So it's gone. It's getting warmer. Um, I'll have some of that. This is... Have I... Am I just, like, Sam Neill in Jurassic Park? <laughs> is this... I'm not that tall. Um, <laughs> I could do it like this. You probably pick that one up. I don't want to now. <laughs> I'm nervous. I will. I'll double my. Oh, you can pick it up, but you've wrapped it round like a snake. <laughs> Professional. Um, on my part there. Um, Tension is unbearable. <laughs> Which mic's he gonna go to next? Uh, this one's fine. I'll just lean. <laughs> uh, <laughs> was it planned? Wasn't it? That's what you'll be wondering later. <laughs> Did he do it? Did he set it up? Uh, no, no. Um, the thing is, like, when you dive bomb by a crow, um, <laughs> if, like, in nature, if something big attacks a human and kills it, like a shark or a, like a lion or a giraffe or something, like, you're reminded nature's powerful. You think, Jesus, don't fuck with nature. But if you're a man on a street in Kentish Town and you're seen getting dive-bombed by a crow, people just assume you're inherently evil. <laughs> And no one helps you. It's horrible. Like, because I come from the north, where tragedy is built into our blood. Like, I come from a real working class family. We've got our problems in there. You know, we come from an area when the recession hit in the 80s. Like, we sold everything. We sold our suits. Everyone in my village just sold their suits. Like, if you look at a photo from the 80s in our village, and everyone's got a suit on, it's just painted on. It's just paint. If you look closely, that's the whole north. Like. The thing is, you forget, like, people have got it hard, like... Cos I think I've got it quite easy when I hear about my dad and my gran. Like, my gran had a horrible life. Uh, not a horrible life, but... Her upbringing was hard. She was born in a mill and she went into a workhouse. And, like, she grew up in the war, so, like... The area was bombed and, and she was in poverty. And she didn't know she was in poverty because she has that beautiful thing children have. Is you just make the best of it. And she... When I hear about her life, like, the fact that, um... Anything in my life just seems, seems brilliant. Like, she had these four friends, and um, their lives were horrible, but they have these really nice memories. Like, she was telling me once, they went down to this place they called the beach, which is basically some rubble with some sand, and they found a Samiad, right? Which, if you don't know what a Samiad is, it's like a teleportation accident of all of nature. And it's a little monster, and it grants wishes. And that's how she remembers her childhood. And, of course, you know that isn't true. Like, you know that's got to be something else, because they don't exist. And it was only... <laughs> it was only when uh, she was, like, an adult, she looked back on those memories, and she realised that that Samiad was actually the bloated corpse of a Nazi. Right? <laughs> And the weird thing about that story that you've got to take from this is, how did it grant wishes? <laughs> but it did. <laughs> like, tragedy comes in all different forms as well. Like, 
I'm obsessed with all sorts. Um, I'm just checking my time. Oh, I'm doing all right. <laughs> the professionalism continues. There was a word somewhere in there. Like, I'm obsessed with weird news stories. I'm going to tell you something because this makes me laugh so much. Um, like, because the news is full of horror and awfulness, to put it into the bluntest of terms. But there's also some gems in newspapers. I'm obsessed with weird news stories. I'm going to tell you this one thing, and it is amazing. It was, a, it was in the Essex Gazette, right? So you know this is gold already. Uh, and, like, has anyone else got this obsession with weird news stories? Who said that? Oh, see, one there, someone nodding. You say, I knew it was you before I even turned, because, like, we're like dogs, people who have this. <laughs> like, if a dog has never seen another dog in its life, then it sees one, it goes, huh, oh, I don't know how, but we are the same. <laughs> and I could feel that. Uh, and I'm going to give you this example of the sort of stories I'm obsessed with, and apologies if you've heard this. It happened last summer, it was in the Essex Gazette, and I don't like talking about this sort of thing on stage, but it is so good, I'm going to. Are you familiar with the term vajazzling? Oh, one definitely, yes. Kind of, sir. If you're not, basically, it's where girls make this bit like a disco ball, right? <laughs> they, they make it shiny, essentially. And there's these two 15-year-old girls in Essex who had had this done, and there's some bathing naked in the back garden, let them live their lives, don't judge. But because they'd had this done, they were set upon by magpies. <laughs> It's horrific, isn't it? <laughs> the worst thing is, one of them wanted to be like the girls who have this done so much. She'd been crash-dieting, she was about five and a half, six stones. Two of the magpies managed to pick her up and carry her to their nest. <laughs> she was up there 14 hours. Took two fire brigades to get her down, because, you know, magpies are naughty. They are. They're cousins of the crow, actually, who we, are, we know now is nature's supervillain. So, uh, that's why they nest in dormant volcanoes. <laughs> It's just for me and you, that one. Uh, <laughs> you know, these, these sort of things happen. I think, I think that's the beautiful thing about tragedy or horror or anything, you know. Like someone said, uh, I read this in a book, that um, horror is just comedy without the laughter. Um, so what I say is next time you and your friends go camping and six of them have been killed and you're running for your life, just laugh it off. <laughs> <laughs> but not when the killer's near. Um, I'm gonna, this is a beautiful night, I'm gonna do something. I know we're supposed to be relishing in our misery, um, but, you know, it's bank holiday. Um, fuck it. <laughs> I'm gonna end on a joke, and I'll do something that I think I'm the only comedian who can do this. Um, I'm gonna do any style of joke you want. So, to break any misery you have in your, your bellies, if you've got a favorite style, like a doctor, doctor, and then shout it out, and I'll, I'll do it for you. Dad jokes. Dad jokes. I, yeah, I get it. Um, <laughs> an observational knock knock, and I'll include a dad. How's that? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I'll do all the bits. Don't worry, you don't have to join in. And I've, got a, I've actually got a really good one that I can wing into this. And there's a little mime at the beginning, so look out for that. Right. Knock knock. Who's there? Knock knock. Who's there? Knock knock. Lorraine! Lorraine! Lorraine, it's your dad! <laughs> Lorraine! Lorraine! Lorraine, your dad's at the door! 
The rain! The rain! The rain! The rain! The rain! The rain is your dad! The rain! The rain is climbing the fence! The rain is got has he got a back key? The rain! The rain! I don't know if this is a joke or a memory. <laughs> kind of did it wrong there. Um, give me another style and I'll do it. My. Style or genre? Hmm, isn't that the question of all the modern gentlemen? <laughs> um, did you want mine? That's my time. I've been Matthew Hyten. Um, if you did enjoy me talking weird and you ever do want to hear more, just at the end of the gig, just give me your address. <laughs> I'll be there. Um, I've been Matthew Hyten. Thank you very much and keep supporting this night. The material that you've just heard was a very early part of what would become Matt's solo show at the Edinburgh Festival, which was a brilliant set of comedy that was based on his experiences of insomnia, the bizarre situations that came from that. Bryony, our podcast producer, caught the show up there and she really, really loved it and thoroughly recommends it. Matt is always doing shows all across London. Check him out on his website, matthewhighton.co.uk or you should follow him on Twitter where he is very entertaining and can be found at Matt Hyten. You can follow us on Twitter too. We're at Stand Up For Tragedy and we're also on Facebook where you can become our friend or you can like us. Stand Up Tragedy Before I introduce our final comedian, I want to tell you that very soon you're going to be able to experience some tragedy, some tragic comedy live. We're back doing Tragic Christmas on the 12th of December at the Dog Star in Brixton. Tickets are £5 in advance from the website or £7 on the door. And we've got a Facebook event. And also, if you are following us on Twitter, we're going to be using the hashtag TragicXmas and sharing our christmas-based tragedies from now until christmas so please share some tragedy with us we always want to hear other people's tragedy the most important thing about tragic christmas is that all the proceeds from it are going to go towards the amazing organization arts emergency 
Arts Emergency was created by Neil Griffiths and Josie Long. They pooled their contacts in comedy and activism to put together an organisation that aims to take people from backgrounds that wouldn't normally be able to easily get access to the arts and humanities and help them to get that access. It believes that art is for everybody. The more voices we have coming into the arts and humanities from the widest range of backgrounds, the better the ideas we're going to be sharing and exploring together. We first met Josie when she headlined our show at the Dog Star in Brixton. So it's amazing to be able to give her something back because she came to our show and shared her tragedy with our audience. We're really so pleased to be working with Arts Emergency. Josie really took on board what Stand Up Tragedy is all about. She didn't just embrace the theme of tragedy and tell us what tragedy meant to her, but she also wrote something especially for us. She tried out new material. All of those things are what we want performers to do. And it was really a joy to have Josie at Stand Up Tragedy. Here's her performance. And then after that, we'll hear some of her thoughts about what Stand Up Tragedy is all about. Hello, hello. Um, yeah, my name's Josie Long. Uh, I'm a comedian. How's it going? <laughs> um, I, uh, so I haven't done this night before and I liked the premise of it and I think it's because a lot of the time comedians like to take themselves too seriously, um, like more seriously than they deserve. Um, and so I was thinking about the, con like about tragedy and about what that means and um, um, uh, I have thought of something to do, but basically I haven't talked about it before, and I, it, uh, so it might be rubbish, and I don't know how long it will last. <laughs> but I think it comes in at like six hours. <laughs> so that's all right, and it's fine. Um, uh, I don't totally 100% know where I'm going to start, but I think I'm going to start like this. I think I'm quite a positive person, insofar as I have a natural optimistic temperament that refuses to be stamped out. No matter what shit happens to me, I just in the end seem to be like, oh, it'll be all right, wouldn't it? And I think it's quite odd for me to have that temperament in my family because I, uh, I lived, uh, how do I explain that without divulging details? I don't want to divulge. Um, my mum, was obviously really influential in my life, as people's parents are. And my mum kind of views life as a tragedy, especially her own life. She has a very poetic and tragic idea about herself. Like, she likes 19th century French poetry and she likes drama, I think, quite a lot. And um, so, like, there's things that she would say, like, she'll say things like, I always wish that I'd learned the piano. <laughs> and I'd be like, Mum, you can. You just get lessons. <laughs> oh, it's too late for me. <laughs> like, it's not. You're alive. Or... <laughs> like, she said to me, like, um, basically, since I was born when she was 31 years old, and I remember from the age of, when she was about 40, her basically behaving like, well, I'm old now. My life is done. 
um, my parents broke up when I was 12, and I remember sort of being like, we should get out there and meet someone. And she uh, was like, no, no, it'll never happen for me. And then uh, she quite sadly met my stepdad. Um, <laughs> um, but I think my mum has this attitude that tragedy is in itself really noble, and that if you're struggling through something bad that is kind of bigger and better than if you just try and have a great old time. And um, my sister, there's me, my mum, oh, and I'm quite similar to this in some ways, insofar as I'm really good at getting on with things despite problems. For example, I moved into my new flat, uh, well, my flat, about 18 months ago, and there was a broken hanger, uh, a broken rail in the wardrobe. And for the first few months, I was like, ah, I'll just put stuff near it. <laughs> and then after three months, I taped it up with some parcel tape instead of just buying a new component. <laughs> and since then, I've been like, it'll do, it does. Uh, just keep going. And then I, I'm so I'm kind of desperate. I'm very different. I'm very kind of romantic in a sort of soaring optimistic. This makes me seem better than I am. I'm useless, but like the idea that I sort of want this big, epic, wonderful life of joys and treasures. And my sister is kind of like exactly neither of those things. My sister had a much harder time of it than me growing up because she kind of fell victim to my parents' bitter divorce and was battered around a lot more and like had, had to support herself from a very young age. And as a result, she's just hard as fuck and she doesn't take any shit from anyone, and she doesn't want anyone fruiting around with any notions of bloody self-narrative or any of that. She just wants you to get on with it and shut up. Like, that's my... And she's, a, and she's lovely and bright, but, like, I was talking to her about love quite recently, and she said to me, thing is, you're going to get shit off of any of them, so you might as well just pick one. <laughs> And I should say, she's getting married and she's really happily engaged. She loves her husband, she's really happy, but her, I think her philosophy is like, ah, fuck it, they're all going to give you grief. And um, I thought I would tell you about one day where the three of us, me, my mum and my sister, uh, went to visit my grandma. Uh, and it was in 2006. It was in June or July, I can't remember which, but it was definitely June or July. And I know that because that evening I had to do a preview of my Edinburgh show, which was my first ever Edinburgh show that I ever took to the Edinburgh Fringe. And um, uh, a little background. Uh, my uh, my mum... I have one sister with my mum and my dad, and then I have a half-brother, and I have lots and lots of step-siblings. But my mum, my sister and me quite often, until my mum moved to Tenerife, which leads me to suspect that she's a sex criminal on the run. <laughs> um, uh, they, uh, the three of us sort of did spend time together. And um, we got a call. My, I should tell you as well about this. My grandma is, was fucking brilliant. She's really brusque. She was really like, I don't have time for this nonsense. Let's just get on with our lives in a kind of... <laughs> And I should say as well, my whole family is adventures through the class system of the United Kingdom because, like, all of us have had completely different educational experiences and life outcomes. <laughs> so uh, the thing about my grandma is that I was close to her, right? And I am not that close to that many members of my family. I love them dearly, but circumstances have dictated certain things and there's not much I can do about that. And I love, I love my family. I love my sister desperately. I love my mum desperately. But... I was really close to my grandma. She was there for me when a lot of the time 
other people couldn't be. And I know that there is a thing, I realise now, at 31 years old, that there is a thing, that people in their 20s are like, my grandparents were the greatest human beings alive, and you don't realise mine were the most noble, heroic people, and they died, and it changed my life because I had an experience of death where somebody loved me. But you guys can all fuck off, because this is my one, so... <laughs> it's different, it's better. <laughs> And also, she was what I had, right? And that's the thing as well. Like sometimes that can be very small, you know, and that, that's what I had. And um, me, my sister, and my mum found out uh, my grandma was dying. Uh, she fell over and got injured, and that got infected. Then they kicked her out of a little sheltered accommodation into a home that she hated, and it sucked the life out of her, and she was dying. And I was glad about this because I didn't have the money or the capacity to have her stay with me and that's all I wanted. And we found out that she was about to die. And uh, the three of us got together and had a road trip to go and visit her to say goodbye. My mum lives in Tenerife. My mum used to live in Orpington in South East London where I was brought up. I, at the time, lived in Peckham Rye. Great place to live. And my sister lives in Maidstone, out of choice. <laughs> and that's how you can see, she is different to me. <laughs> and three of us met up, I think, in Orpington, to drive down to visit my grandma. And we took two cars, because my sister cannot handle being in the car with my mum. <laughs> so my mum, I met my mum in Orpington. She hung out with her, and my sister came and picked me up and we took two cars. And me and my sister had a conversation going down that was quite light-hearted. My sister is a lot of fun and she's cool and she's quite light. So we would have had a conversation where I would have said something like, well, the, f the fact is, you know, that, that guy is a dickhead. And she would have said to me, oh, and all your relationships have been perfect, have they? And I'd have been like, touche, touche. And um, we were driving down, we were having a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. And we got to the um, car park of this nursing home that my grandma was in. And we all got out. And we stopped off in the calf of the nursing home. And I had a carton of orange juice and one of those geo bars. And I know that for certain. And I don't really understand why. My brain's gone, well, this is the significant part of the day. <laughs> I had a thing. And I remember sitting quite for a little while in the calf before we went up to see her because we were sort of chatting. And my mum's lovely, but she's very sensitive. So she kind of thought me and my sister were taking the piss out of her, and we weren't. And my sister was getting frustrated because my sister doesn't have patience for people being sensitive. And I was sort of trying to be helpful, but not really knowing what to do. And then they, we were speaking to one of the nurses on the reception. They said, oh, she's in this room. Just go up. Yeah, she's up there. And we went up in to open the door, just so we could see her one last time and talk to her and tell her we loved her and say goodbye. And we opened the door, and she was dead. And she died, like, that morning. It's just that nurse hadn't thought to tell us that fact. So we went in, and it was the first time I'd seen a dead body. Like, and the weird thing I remember is that her mouth was really open and dark, like, like that. And thinking, like, how bizarre it was that, like, that was her, but she wasn't there anymore, and I could tell that she wasn't there anymore. And how shit it was, like, I couldn't say goodbye. And how wrecked I was, because I can sort of count on some of the fingers of one hand how many people I can truly rely on to be adults and all that stuff. And so I was, like, devastated. But the problem was I had a preview that night <laughs> for my stand-up comedy gig in uh, Whitstable, in Kent, which is 
It's a lovely part of Kent's there. Um, so what I had to do was, in the state where I was like, bawling and so full of grief and shit, I had to get on a train from Maidstone to Whitstable and do a gig <laughs> for an hour of new material to people that didn't know who I was or care. <laughs> Which was one of the weirdest experiences of my life, right? Because, like, you, you're probably thinking that it was a bad gig, right? It was one of the best gigs of my whole life. <laughs> not even kidding, and I think it was because off the stage, you're in the midst of your life, and your life at that time is unbearable. And your life at that time is like, one of these people who loved me is gone. And that leaves a very scant number of people. And then you get on the stage, and you don't have to do your life. You do all the stuff that you're working out, and you fuck around with it. And no one knows that that's what's happening to you. You're just fucking around in Playville. And then you get off again, and you're like, oh! And it reminded me of times when I've been so ill I couldn't move, and then I get on stage and do the gig in Doctor Theatre, and then you get off again and you're like, oh, good. And I was thinking about that preview when almost an exact year later, I split up with my then boyfriend. And that day, I had to do the first preview of my new Edinburgh show. And I was thinking about that gig when four years to the day, I had just broken up with a massively significant long-term, four years, maybe longer than that, four and a half years to the day, I've massively, I've broken up with a massively significant long-term partner and I had to do a gig straight away. <laughs> and um, yeah, there's something really, I don't know what it is I'm trying to say about this, but there's something really odd and silly that this is my job when tragic things happen. <laughs> you know, like, and, and also there's something weird about the fact that actually when the worst things have happened to me in my adult life, I've had to gig and they've been fucking belters. <laughs> because the worst gigs that I do are the ones where I'm like, oh, I don't really care, I feel a bit contemptuous, whatever. You know, like that, that kind. And um, yes, I don't know what the ending is that going to be, but I was going to say that like, I think it's quite easy to frame life as a tragedy. And I think that's so boring and pointless. And I think that like, everyone has lost, obviously, you know, but there's this song that I was talking to someone about earlier by this Scottish band that my boyfriend likes. Uh, not that I don't, that makes it seem like, oh, I'm a girl, I don't love music. I fucking love music, you don't know me. Um, <laughs> it's a band that my boyfriend got me into called DeRosa and they, it says, um, the lyrics are, and I said it earlier, but the lyrics are, I'm thinking of a family, the way they keep each other safe, and if the depths of living ever troubles one of them, they help each other understand that life is not relentless loss, and I have tried to understand it thus. And uh, I think that's quite useful, like, you know, shows that some things are pointful, I guess. Um, I guess that's the end of what I wanted to say. I hope you found it interesting. <laughs> I haven't really written many jokes recently, because why am I fuck jokes? <coughs> <coughs> but yeah, I hope you found that interesting. I'll see you later. I like performing things that I get to improv a bit and I like writing things for a specific thing. So all of those things applied, applied, appealed to, to me. For me, a lot of my life is spent 
counteracting certain things maybe from my childhood or around me like growing up dealing with like people you love dying things you wanted to work out not working out like dealing with all the loss you have to deal with as a person a lot of my life is spent really fighting the idea that life is a tragic thing and that life is somehow nothing but sadness and last year I did a show the show's kind of about how you keep going when you really feel like you're despairing and that things are pointless and I'm sort of still in a period of my life where I don't really know what the future holds for me in a lot of ways I suppose no one ever does but at the moment I'm a little bit like don't know where my career's going to go don't know necessarily where I'm going to live and things like that and I sort of believe that you can talk about anything on stage and make it funny as long as you're willing to undermine what you've said, fuck around with what you've said, say something serious and then immediately say something maybe irrelevant or like juxtapositional. Uh, I think as well what's great about stand-up is it's the full range of earnest talking to falling over and hitting yourself. So if you can have like really serious stuff and then something really slapstick or silly. And then I also think sometimes like, I know it's a classic thing, but like sometimes humour really helps you cope and you know you start out with a sad thing and you'll just tweak it at the end to be a joke because that helps you know if you can just try and explain that and hope for the best afterwards uh, or, or explain that and try and say and I'm still here and I'm still wanting to do new things I think that can be helpful for other people Josie's touring her short film Let's Go Adventure across the UK this month I'm going to go and see it in Hackney at the Hackney Attic. So maybe she's coming to a town near you. Check out www.josielong.com. So until next time, goodbye. And now... The tragedy is over. This podcast was produced by Bryony Hawkins and recorded by Stephen Harvey. The music was produced by Sam Wilkinson, who can be contacted at radiohuan at yahoo.com. And our outro music was made by the reactionaries and George Buffley. Dry your eyes, it's time. Go.